Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to The Men of Valor Program. Uh, we're excited to still be on our Sex Addiction 101, as we're calling it, the uh, basic teaching about what sex addiction is and eventually how to treat it and so forth. And we've talked about the various criteria to uh, be labeled or call yourself a sex addict. We've talked about some of the various kinds of sexual behaviors that we see. And then finally, last week, we talked about the sex addiction cycle. Today, I'd like to address the uh, topic of uh, where does it come from? What The fancy word that we clinically use is what's the etiology? Where does this problem originate? Uh, how does it develop? Uh, what causes it? And I'm aware, even as I'm saying these things, that I'm speaking to uh, particularly not just the men, but I think a lot of the wives wonder that question. Uh, how could you do this? Why did you do this? Uh, how could you do this to me? Where does it come from? When did this get started? You know, those kinds of things. So we're going to talk about that today. Not to mention the fact that you have broadened my vocabulary with etiology. Etiology, yeah. Well, you know, you go to school for a reason so that you can throw around these big words and pretend to be intelligent. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to pull that off on a daily basis, and all I was coming up with was ET phone home. So, oh, ET it, phone home, yeah. Yeah, so it's, this is obviously something totally different. Well, if uh, ET was phoning home, that wouldn't necessarily be etiology, but... Uh, uh, it was my futile attempt of well, it, making a joke. We need is, a little humor. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, every disease, you know, has an etiology. I, I uh, was just thinking uh, today about, uh, you know, the various forms of cancer. You know, we're learning a lot about the fact that a lot of us are genetically predisposed to certain forms of cancer. And I don't mean to get sidetracked in that, but the question then would be, are there people who are, in fact, even genetically predisposed to being sex addicts? I think the answer to that is uh, possibly, <laughs> uh, meaning that I think there are certain um, mental health conditions uh, that make us more vulnerable to sex addiction, and there are certain mental health conditions that are uh, somewhat genetically passed down. Of course, we always have in the background the idea that the... Uh, sins of the father are passed down to the second, third, and fourth generation. And one of the ways I think that can happen is uh, through the power of uh, genetics. So uh, let's just talk about that one briefly. I think men who struggle with uh, attention deficit disorder, and I think that can be highly uh, genetically originated. Uh, we know that men who struggle with ADHD, as we now call it, uh, are about two to three times as likely to develop an addiction period. And one of the possible addictions that could be the result of uh, that is uh, sexual addiction. And uh, we've talked so often on this show about the neurochemistry of addiction, and uh, we're, we're going to want to address that in our series. But for the moment, I think it's uh, knowing that one of the neurochemicals involved in uh, sexual arousal is adrenaline. And adrenaline is a uh, substance in the brain that increases blood flow. And uh, when you have ADHD... It's generally a problem with lack of blood flow to your prefrontal cortex and or the front part of your brain, the intelligent part of your brain. And uh, there are guys that have been using sexual arousal to uh, stimulate that blood flow. And in a way, 
uh, kind of self-treat their, uh, uh, their ADHD. So uh, that's one of the things we need to think about. That can be a problem. I think in our research study that we did here, about 50% of the men that come here uh, are legitimately struggling with uh, a diagnosis of uh, ADHD. They have one form or another of one that. One form of it. And there are different forms of it. But, uh, you know, as a general concept, uh, you know, about half the men that come here are dealing with that. It doesn't necessarily have to have the, hyper, the hyperactive component. Right. So it right. could be ADD with the attention deficit. It could be what we call inattentive ADD. Mm-hmm. It used to be that we would distinguish ADD and ADHD. Uh, and for some reason, the uh, uh, psychiatric world wanted to lump those together. But, yes, I think a lot of the men here are not uh, dealing with the hyperactive part, except, you know, there are times even in group when you can see them, they're sitting there and they're, they're uh, bouncing their the leg. foot is going a mile a minute. Uh, yeah. and uh, One of the ones yeah. that drives me crazy is when they're clicking their pens. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, 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 they've long since school learned how to basically <laughs> sit in the same place for an hour or two. But uh, uh, there's still that kind of uh, hyperkinetic uh, physical energy that it sometimes develops. And they're not even aware that that's going on. I, they're, they're not. I, yeah. I, I know that because uh, one of my sons... Uh, has challenges with that, and it's distracting uh, th- from time to time watching TV because the the f- if he's laying on the couch with his feet near my chair, the foot never stops. Right. It, right. And you would you would think to the point that his legs are getting weary because it's yeah. uh, it's almost like a drummer who's constantly keeping the beat. So uh, you would right. think that that would be physically exhausting, and yet he's. He's totally unaware that it's going on. Yeah, that's right. And might be surprised if you pointed it out to him. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, that's uh, one of the components. We also know that uh, in terms of mental health issues, uh, there's guys that struggle with anxiety and depression. And um, there again, uh, one of the things uh, we want to talk about is uh, if you've struggled with anxiety and depression uh, for long periods of your life, then you may have found ways to cope uh, and you may have found things that do medicate that, so to speak, uh, with uh, the neurochemistry that can be produced in your own head. So it's important when we're uh, working in the initial days with uh, any of the men that we work with uh, to really kind of have an accurate assessment of any uh, what we generally call mental health issues uh, that they have, You know, whether it be ADHD, anxiety, depression, uh, in some rare cases, we see uh, uh, bipolar disorder, and that is a highly genetic problem that we know is passed down from one generation to the next. Uh, so anyway, it, it's important for us to have uh, an accurate diagnosis of what's going on. Well, it's interesting because you have mentioned in the in the past working with individuals that have one form or, or another of these uh, situations, and even to the point that I think you've dealt with a few with Tourette's have you dealt I've had a couple of guys with Tourette's uh not that not that often uh, now that I think about it but there's been one or two over the year and I've you know worked over the years with you know several thousand different men and yeah uh to say that I've I can think of one or two that means it's it's not generally a bigger problem well I would just imagine that that would just complicate trying to to uh treat uh, their their addiction when that's a component of it. Uh, I remember way back when, when uh, L.A. Law used to be one of the hot TV shows right. on NBC, yeah. and they did a, a, 
a, a series of shows in which one of the opposing lawyers they were facing had Tourette's, mm-hmm. and he would blurt out the most uh, inappropriate sounds. Uh, sounds noise. Well, and and even phrases in, in some name calling right. that was really out of place and really un, uh, inappropriate. And I could just imagine how challenging and frustrating that could yeah. be to deal with. Well, you know, when you think about any uh, condition like that that causes a person to uh, have some sense of shame, some sense of uh, being less than, uh, some self-image issue, then the key to etiology or where it comes from, when do they learn to cope with that by medicating in some unhealthy ways? Now that you're mentioning this, Randy, we could get sidetracked, but there's a there's a workbook that's been out there for, gosh, close to 30 years uh, called the Twelve Steps: uh, A Spiritual Journey, and it's all about uh, using the Twelve Steps and using scriptures as they apply to the various Twelve Steps. And the guy who anonymously wrote that book, uh, he didn't want any profit from it. He just wanted it as an act of service to the recovery community. Uh, just a fine man, but I do remember him trying to lecture one day, do a workshop at one of the conferences I was at, and he did in fact have Tourette's and. Uh, uh, it was really kind of hard to listen to him. And he also had ADHD, which is not an uncommon combination. And he basically stated what his main theme was going to be. And he said, but I do have ADHD and Tourette, so I'm kind of doubtful that I'll stay with that theme. And sure enough, he didn't. He never did talk about the theme that he had suggested or the topic that was presented. <laughs> I'm here uh, today to talk about yeah. X, and he never got he, around he to it. He never got to X. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so... Uh, uh, to summarize this, I, I do think that, that uh, uh, those of us that have ever had uh, anxiety, depression, ADHD, mood swings, whatever it is, you know, we may have learned how, how to medicate that with our addictive activity. And that's one of the sources that we need to look to. And of course, when we talk about treatment in this series, we're going to have to address that. Well, Mark, let's take our break right now because this is fascinating. When we come back, we'll take a closer look at the etiology of sexual addiction. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. We were the mission that was on his mind. We were the vision and the reason why. We are the rhythm that is on his heart. Oh, oh. Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com His love without condition Drove him from his position Gave up heaven just to come 
Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, Randy. Uh, I was thinking about this, and here I am with uh, you know my 30 years of recovery. So what I notice uh, these days is that there's so many other things besides sexual stimuli that that trigger me into you know angry places or agitated places where, uh, at least in the old days, and when I say the old days, prior to being age 37, uh, I would have medicated that anger, that agitation, or uh, whatever other anxiety it created for me uh, by uh, thinking about sexual things and medicating that way. Uh, so this weekend, uh, Debbie and I happened to be in Chicago. We were visiting her parents who are still alive, and uh, I don't know what it is about Chicago. I did some growing up there. My dad pastored there. Debbie grew up there, and uh, my in-laws live in the western suburbs. That's where they have a senior center, and you know, just you know, it's like when you when you cross the uh, Wisconsin-Illinois border. It's like the drivers become, uh, uh, how do I put this? <laughs> Reckless, uh, aggressive, uh, uh, invasive. Uh, uh, I just, you know, just on the Illinois tollway, uh, just got cut off. And There's uh, a great appreciation for NASCAR down there, yeah, apparently. Yeah, well, it is, evidently. It's like a, it's like a raceway. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when I, when I am on an interstate, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to test the speed limit. I mean, so the speed limit was 70, and I was going probably 78. And uh, I was getting past like I was standing still. And uh, I'm just saying that driver, other drivers sometimes for me are one of the biggest triggers out there. Well, it, it definitely can cause you to go to places that you don't normally go uh, as far as the emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. of adrenaline and anger. I mean, by nature, I'm not an angry person, right. but uh, a, uh, an aggressive driver can bring me there. Right. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that when we encounter aggressive drivers uh, who are uh, being insensitive to us, or that's our interpretation— we could segue into, you know, one of the other issues we need to look at in the uh, etiology of sexual addiction, and that is uh, the feeling that uh, I'm not getting treated well, that I'm uh, left out, that I'm not included, that uh, people don't take my needs seriously, you know, that kind of thing. So let's talk about that. And I, I think to do that, we need to go back to uh, the early days of our our, our uh, movement with sexual addiction and uh, remind our listeners, some of whom already know this, I'm sure, but uh, the early studies in sexual addiction identified the fact that a very high percentage of sex addicts uh, had struggled with uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse. And back in 89, 90, when Carnes did his original survey of somewhere between 1,000 to 2,000 sex addicts, he found that uh, 81% of that population had in fact experienced sexual abuse as uh, a child or adolescent. Something like 75% had experienced physical abuse as a child or adolescent. And virtually all of them, I I think the actual figure was 97% had experienced some kind of uh, emotional invasion where, you know, they were name called or they were uh, uh, emotionally invaded uh, in an act of what we call emotional incest. We're going to explain some of these things, I think, as we go along in this series about treatment. But the truth of it is, is that uh, in those early days, it, it was you know, oftentimes the case that the average sex addict was, in fact, dealing with a, a profoundly significant amount of abuse or trauma. Uh, when I went to 
treatment, uh, a large focus of the treatment program uh, was identifying the harm that had been done to me. Then we were asked to identify uh, the core beliefs that develop out of that. In other words, I'm a bad and worthless person, you know, why did I get abused? Uh, well, chances are because I'm a bad and worthless person. Uh, I mean, victims tend to uh, take upon themselves uh, responsibility for it when in fact, uh, you know, it's not their fault at all. It's the fact, it's the fault of the perpetrators. But part of the treatment uh, with abuse survivors is to, you know, help them understand that uh, they did develop core beliefs about themselves. You know, I'm a bad and worthless person. No one will like me as I am. No one will take care of my needs but me. You know, those kinds of core beliefs. And, and particularly if they experience sexual abuse at an early age, like I did at age three, that kind of awakens your sexuality at a point in time when you don't have any kind of uh, emotional or spiritual resources to know how to deal with it in a healthy way. So uh, it just kind of confuses you about sexuality. It enlivens it. It wakes it up. I remember being preoccupied with what I now know are sexual thoughts uh, ever since the uh, abuse happened to me. And I was three years old. And so as a four, five, six, seven-year-old, my thoughts were turning to lots of physical things, lots of things about women. Uh, and then when pornography came along, finally, and I'm age 11, it just seemed like uh, one of the answers to uh, the struggles that I'd been having, but you could trace it back to when it started, and it all started with the uh, the sexual abuse. Did that level of therapy, Mark, uh, had you had those clear recollections of your early years until you had that therapy, or did that therapy while you were in treatment kind of... Uh, you used the word awaken. Yeah. Did it awaken those memories from your earliest childhood like that? Yeah, it did. And uh, I think that, you know, the word that we use is repressed. I believe that I had repressed it. And there's lots of explanations for that. But, uh, you know, I was working with therapists who weren't trying to, uh, you know, invent or concoct uh, abuse that I'd experienced, uh, that no one was telling me that given, you know, what I had done or my acting out behaviors, that I therefore must be a sexual abuse survivor. That's something we would call the false memory syndrome. But it was, it was in fact, through the therapeutic journey in the process and, you know, talking to, uh, you know, members of my family and talking to other men who'd been through some similar experiences that, uh, it all kind of came back to me. Uh, it came back to me a lot in, uh, bodily sensations uh, came back to me in the middle of the night. I'd wake up with memories of stuff. Uh, it's kind of what we call trauma reactions. And uh, I think in this series, we're going to talk a little bit more about those. Yeah. So it did come back to me later. I going into the treatment center in the hospital, I wasn't in a, uh, I wasn't really aware of it at all. Uh, I just knew that I'd done all these terrible things. But then in the treatment center, I learned that I could trace that back. And again, today we're talking to about the etiology of it. I can talk uh, now about the fact that I can identify inappropriate thoughts going back to age three, and that was the age that I was sexually abused. And they now make sense to and you now because now you know what they were. Right. Yeah. And the other thing about that is that in my acting out, uh, I certainly crossed a lot of moral boundaries. I, I violated commandments and told lots of lies and and all of that. And another factor of abuse is that uh, whatever kind it is, whether it's physical, emotional, sexual, you know, you basically learn that boundaries are being crossed. Uh, people are doing things to you that should not be done. So much more so than you realize, I think you're, you're getting kind of a modeling of how uh, sin is perpetrated on the next generation 
So, you know, the scriptural teaching about that is, in fact, the case, you know, that uh, if, uh, you know, my father or, you know, whoever abused me uh, was struggling with their own sexual sin and turned around and then did sexual things with me uh, that awakened my sexuality and led me off into the direction of inappropriate sexual activities, you know, that's certainly one of the ways that the sins of the Father are passed on to the next generation. I can only imagine, Mark, the number of men that are hearing this show today who can relate to the honesty that you're sharing with us. Because I would I would imagine, as you were reflecting earlier, that many, many, many men, uh, their sexual addiction um, origin can be traced back to the abuse that they... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, were subject to at an early age, and, and maybe pieces start to come together just even hearing you talk about this. Well, you know, and that, if that's the case, uh, uh, my encouragement would be, of course, to any of our listeners to uh, find safe people to talk to about it right. if, if there are some memories that are, that are coming up for you. Um, right. I want to be quick to add here, too, Randy, that at no time you know, would I um, try to justify any of my, my personal sexually sinful behavior uh, uh, on the fact that I was sexually abused. That, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, and I am saying that for me to heal, I, I am going to have to heal uh, the memories of that kind of harm to me. So, and, and most importantly, I think uh, what it does is it distorts our, our views about ourselves and it distorts our, our views about God. I mean, the, the person who sexually abused me, you know, was a pastor so, uh, you know, how could God let that happen to you? How could God let that happen? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what was the deal there? Uh, is God a good God? And uh, so, in terms of my faith journey, you know, how, how I believed about myself, how I believed about God, I mean, those are all, you know, very important elements. And given the fact that at some level, because of the abuse, I was angry at God, uh, that is part of uh, the factor that allowed me to uh, cross some of the boundaries I did. I don't think I've ever asked you, was your mother aware of what was going on? That's a great question, and uh, I believe today that she was. And uh, that's kind of a great segue, Randy, to uh, uh, the idea that um, in in addition to invasion, which is uh, what we've talked about so far, there's also a form of uh, what we recognize as being traumatic called neglect and abandonment. And I think uh, we should talk more about that on our next show. But yes, I do believe an answer to your question, direct answer to your question. I mean, the abuse happened in my bedroom. Uh, My parents' bedroom was right next door. Uh, I just don't think you could be unaware of it. And I'm also guessing that my father's behavior in other ways uh, would have been a pretty strong indication that he himself was having trouble with uh, sexuality. So now... Uh, giving my mother the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, living with my father, you know, I think was a pretty hard thing. And uh, uh, her ability back in, you know, the early 1950s to speak up about these things when nobody was talking about it. uh, Let me just say uh, that I have forgiven uh, both my mother and my father for any of the stuff that happened back then. Uh, I, I think the interesting part etiologically about this is that uh, given the fact that my mother uh, did not protect me uh, and was generally emotionally uh, and spiritually unavailable to me, uh, uh, that led me off in the direction of trying to find that kind of nurture from other women. So even though I was abused in a same-sex or homosexual way, 
my addiction went in the direction of heterosexuality, and I'm, I'm in a way, uh, grateful for that. Well, God definitely blessed you with the um, opportunity and the ability to, for to forgive them both. Yeah, well, that's essentially a part of our Christian journey, Randy. I, I, I recognize today that uh, anybody who's done atrocious sexual things uh, has done so uh, because they're in a great deal of pain. Well, and as you have made clear to us before, um, there is no sin that God is not capable of granting forgiveness. That is absolutely right, and maybe that's not a bad place to close, because we're going to talk more about these kinds of things uh, through this series, uh, because uh, it's not just you know where this stuff started, but it's also about uh, you know how we can heal it that is important. So uh, yes, you're exactly right, and uh, those people that would contend that you know, those of us that have been abused, uh, you know, we're going to be abuse survivors the rest of our life. Uh, they don't really understand the Christian journey uh, uh, because I do think we get to a place where uh, we find out that uh, we can forgive those who harmed us and God was there the whole time. He was watching out for us in so many ways that we, we didn't realize and uh, God had a purpose and plan in all of it. I uh, wouldn't be sitting here uh, talking about this topic uh, with whatever ability I have to talk about it if it hadn't been for the fact that it happened. So uh, God is a good God. And uh, for all of you listening who are, you know, abuse survivors yourself and have experienced these things, you know, please know that uh, there's a lot of healing possible. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you for joining us today and listening to our show. We hope that this coming week will be a week for you that is filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.